The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Alicia Sopal and Stephanie Angrand, co-founders of Hanger Queens. Alicia Sopal currently holds the role of Person Responsible for Maintenance, PRM, at Espeo Air, where she primarily looks after two Piper Navajos, but has also worked on a variety of aircraft ranging from a Cessna 152 to CRJ 900. She holds both M1 and M2A licenses and has also had the opportunity to take on leadership roles, such as a maintenance controller and line maintenance supervisor. Recently, Alicia was appointed Vice President of the Pacific Aircraft Maintenance Engineer Association, PAMIA, and became the first woman to join and the first to serve on the board. She also serves on the Youth Engagement Committee with the British Columbia Aviation Council. Stephanie Angron is currently a crew supervisor for a maintenance team in St. Hubert, Quebec, operating on the CH-146 Griffins. Having first joined the Canadian Forces in 2006 as an aircraft maintenance engineer, Stephanie's first love was for the CF-18 jets in Cold Lake, Alberta, where she worked as an engine technician. In 2013, following a move to the civilian world, she had the opportunity to work with the CRJs 700, 900, and 1000 with Bombardier in Mirabel, Quebec, and in fact, got to witness the first ever flight of a C-Series. Since returning to military work in 2015, Stephanie began working with the CH-146 Griffins and taught the type course for three years, which, is what she says, sparked her passion for teaching and mentoring. Proud to be a part of the 2% of female AMEs in Canada, both Alicia and Stephanie enjoy promoting aviation careers to young women, highlighting underrepresented jobs in aviation, and helping to support women currently working as AMEs. I truly could not be more excited to have them join me today. Welcome, Alicia and Stephanie. Hello. Hi. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I am just so excited to have finally had you guys on. I saw you guys perform, or rather the skills competition that you did through the Ontario a Association, and I knew we had to have you on as guests. So thank you so much for finding the time. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Without further ado, we will jump right on in then. How did you get your starts in aviation? So for me, my first days of my first taste of aviation was with the Air Cadets. I joined when I was 13 and quickly got interested in everything aircraft related. So straight out of high school, when I was 16 years old, I enrolled in the military as an aircraft maintenance engineer. Uh, And for me, I had always been fascinated uh, by airplanes at a young age. So I knew um, that I was gonna be in this industry. I just didn't know what path to take. So the only career paths that were kind of visible to me were either becoming a pilot or a flight attendant. So initially I was uh, interested in becoming a pilot, but then I went to uh, a BCIT big info night when I was trying to figure out my career path um, during my grade 12 year. And I saw this AMEM program and that got me really interested. And I thought I should probably learn how to fix planes um, before I fly them. Hmm. I'm just touching on a point you made, Stephanie, about having been an air cadet and then going from that to becoming a maintenance engineer. Because I know a lot of air cadets, but none that ever really were in that and then actively chose to go into a maintenance facet of aviation. Everyone in air cadets seems to want to be a pilot. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the Air Cadets, they have like different programs. So you have the leadership programs, the pilot route, and there's also like a maintenance program. And I feel like not a lot of people know about it. And um, you can do a summer camp that is like three weeks and it's called Introduction to Aviation. And you learn about principles of flight, um, maintenance, types of engines and stuff like that. And that's the one I chose to do for a summer. So um, that really got me going more on the maintenance than the piloting side of things. Yeah, and as you say that, I'm mindful. I'm thinking back now to my own time as an air cadet. And I think there was a maintenance, a summer maintenance course in North Bay as well. Yeah, I did mine in, um, it was more in Saint-Jean, the south shore of Montreal. But I know they have them like uh, across the country. There's a few locations. They hold those uh, summer classes. And it sort of ties into your experiences as well, Alicia, the idea of when you think about aviation careers, oftentimes, I guess the scope, or at least what's most often presented is just being a pilot or a flight attendant. People don't really seem to realize that there are more careers. And I think the industry does a poor job at showcasing other careers, but it's not until you sort of came across this, uh, this event where you actually, I guess, put together that, yeah, if I want to fly planes, I should know how to fix them. I, I love that logic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I get, I get that all the time. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I still have the interest in flying and I think I'll, I'll probably end up doing that, but I fell in love with maintenance. Now, were you both, uh, I guess, growing up as children, people that wanted to like know how something worked? Were you the ones that wanted to take something apart to figure it out? Or if it broke, it was, well, I don't really care about that. Um, for me, I liked to be hands-on. Like my dad, um, is a is an uh, is an engineer as well, um, not aircraft related. Um, he's a power engineer, so he, I grew up around him, seeing him on the tools, and so I was always curious about what he was doing. And um, I, but I don't have any like mechanical. I had no mechanical skills um, or official training prior to me joining this AME program. So that alone just shows like if you are fully interested in doing this, you totally can, and you do not need to have any background really yeah I mean I was not exposed to any like type of like mechanics or anything like that I knew I didn't want to go to school I was not going to be like a scholar sitting around going to university I needed something that was much more like involved like physically and I knew I wanted to join the forces and aircraft maintenance was a shorter program and it seemed very like hands-on I was like yes this is what I need to like medicate naturally my ADHD or something so I was not really exposed to it but um quickly got interested and it's so interactive that it's an easier way to learn to like and get like stay interested in the program yeah no and I, I wasn't someone that grew up mechanically inclined I would occasionally see my my dad use the tools for different things I mean he works in IT and I remember wanting to be like a little kid and helping, but I was very much the one of like, okay, pass like the screwdriver. Like, look at me, I'm in STEM, even as like a nine-year-old. So it's, it's good to know that you don't necessarily need to have that kind of mechanical inclination. It can just be something that you're passionate about and interested in later on. It doesn't need to come from such a young age as well. Exactly. Now, although you both work as AMEs, you maintain very different aircraft. What is the licensing process like to become a maintenance engineer from student all the way to having your M1 or M2 license? 
Um, so I, I'll go first. Um, I'll go. I'll talk about the civilian side of things as Stephanie kind of refers to, to me. Um, so there's a couple ways to go about it. And there are three types of licenses. There are avionics structures and maintenance. Um, you can go um, to a college or a technical school. I personally went to a technical school called BCIT. And usually the program can last anywhere from a year and a half to three years, depending on um, the school and how the schedule is. Once you graduate uh, and you do your course, you begin your four-year apprenticeship. And um, what's awesome is that you can use the year and a half school towards that. Um, so the next step there is then um, your logbook and your logbook is filled out with different maintenance tasks that you must complete. And you need, uh, you need to have these tasks signed off by a licensed AME that feels confident that you're able to perform these tasks on your own. So after working for another two and a half years and acquiring all the signatures required in your logbook, then you can submit that book to Transport Canada. And once Transport Canada approves your logbook, then you can apply to write your um, CARS exam. And then the final step is just to pass that exam, which will uh, officially make you a licensed AME. And um, the size of the aircraft that you worked on during your apprenticeship will determine if you are M1 or M2. And the way I kind of think about it is M1 are smaller aircraft and M2 are like commercial aircraft. For the military side, um, I've worked both civilian and military, but did all my training through the military. It's a bit different. The leg up I will say that the military have is that while you're undergoing your training, which is paid for, you also receive a salary. So you're part of the Canadian Forces, you get a salary and your education is paid for. So for us, the way it works, we have our own school. It's in Borden, Ontario, where this is the military technical school. You'll go to do your common core. So all trades, you know, avionics, mechanics and structures, they do this three month course to learn basic skills and tools. Then everybody moves on to their like specific programs. After you're done your school, which would be like the equivalent of doing your technique at like BCIT or LENA or all that stuff, you get um, posted to a platform. So then you go to your like specific aircraft type and then you do your on-job training, which is your logbook. And once you accomplish that, then you become a journeyman and then you have to write an exam. It's similar to the cars, but we call it or AMP level two, which is a open book exam, like the CARS about airworthiness policies, which they're all based off the Aeronautics Act, but this is very military specific. And there's like 12 books. The exam is three hours and you need a hundred percent to pass. So it's kind of the same stress level. And then you can officially become a performer of maintenance or the equivalent of having an AME license. So yeah, even thinking about those exams, because uh, so the CARS exam, I know different maintenance engineers and they talk about this exam. It, I was sort of trying to think, is it more like air law in the way that we think of from like a piloting context or is it, I guess, more with the Aeronautics Act and sort of standards of airworthiness, as you mentioned, Stephanie? Um, yeah, so the CARS exam is, is based on just the regulations so that like um, they kind of challenge you on um, like what, what exactly is your license allow you to do and and making sure that you understand the responsibilities that mm -hmm. you would have with your signature and all that kind of stuff. So really ingraining that and making sure you fully understand the responsibilities 
um, in signing out an aircraft. And you both touched on this idea of a logbook that ultimately is the literally the account of everything that you've done and things you've worked on. Was there a particular item in your training that you found really interesting? I mean, I don't know if I would say interesting. It was very challenging. Um, it's so repetitive. So for to get your logbook signed off, you can't just do one task and be like, yeah, I've done it. It's all good. You have to do it multiple times so that you can perform it with minimum supervision and then convince someone with the experience that like you can perform this task and then it's up to that person to sign you off or not. So it can take like quite a few tries, you know, to get something signed off to complete your book. And some of these tasks are not performed very often. So you really got to make sure that the planets align for you to like get on that job and get that task signed off. So it's a lot of um, definitely a bit of a tango to get that achieved. Yeah, I'll just add to Stephanie's comment there. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to work in a shop where there was just like a couple of us apprentices. So we would get to like take turns doing tasks, but I can't imagine being at a, um, a big shop where there's like maybe 10 or 15 and you have to like fight for that job card to mm -hmm. go, you know, take your turn to do it. So that's also really important is being aware of like what's happening on the floor and, and making sure like you go do that task so that you can, you know, get that signature and train on that. So the only, I guess, experience I have that's even close to maintenance is that when I was in my post-secondary studies, we had an intro to maintenance course for pilots. It was not elementary maintenance, but it was trying to give us, I guess, a bit of a census of the maintenance and really make us appreciate the maintenance engineers who do such a good job at taking care of our planes. And we had to do lock wire by hand. And it was the most frustrating thing I have done. I had such so many little cuts on my fingers and blisters. And that was the day I decided, you know what? I could never be a maintenance engineer because I cannot do lock wire. I've had enough of this. Uh, lock wire. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have scars from yeah. lock wire and cotter pins, like for sure. And when I did my training, there's like a tool you can use to do lock wire. There's like special pliers. Mm -hmm. But my teacher, they were like, no, you need to learn to do it by hand and like have the specific amount of like twist per inch and stuff like that. So yeah, lock wire is definitely something I'm glad that, you know, I can make the apprentices do for training purposes. <laughs> no, it's uh, definitely if I'm doing a walk around now and I'll see an item that has a bit of lock wire just holding it together. I always think oh, someone, someone took the time to do that. And I, I appreciate it more now that I have yeah, the scars of just one afternoon of doing it. Now, in addition to both working full-time as maintenance engineers, you are also the founders of Hangar Queens, whose mission statement as of January, 2022 is to create more networking and educational opportunities for women in aircraft maintenance. What drove you to start this initiative? Yeah, so for me, when I started uh, attending Canadian Women in Aviation calls and being more involved with Elevate and all these organizations, I noticed that the AMEs were very underrepresented and that the majority of the aviation content is mostly for pilots, engineers, and business aviation. So I, one day I was talking about it uh, with Nisha, that's from CWI, and she put me in contact with Alicia. She was like, I feel like you two will have a lot in common and you kind of share the same feeling. So we set up our first call ever and we started brainstorming on like, 
you know, how can we build a platform or a community for female AMEs? And um, with all that, like for me personally, teaching, mentoring and leadership has always been a big part of my life. And I like to highlight incredible individuals. Like I'm very passionate about all that stuff. So when we did the AME skills competition, I noticed that the prizes were mostly like specialization courses, uh, like an on-type course or advanced composite. I was reminded that for civilian AMEs, the like continued education or specialization courses, they're not really accessible because A, they're so expensive and it's not something that companies really sponsor. I know that for ACAs, they'll provide a type course because they want these like higher technical authorizations. But for someone starting out in the industry, you often have to buy your own tools, which is very costly. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you know, to get endorsements or type course, it could be from 10 to $20,000. So I saw a need and I was like, yes, I can help with this. I can provide this like training and education. Yeah, it was it was actually really cool to learn so much, even that weekend, um, talking with other military AMEs um, that were on the team to just see how, how different it is uh, from the civilian side of things where the education and like uh, the continued education is so ingrained in the military. And I really wish that that could translate kind of into the civilian world where it's just like implemented. We don't have to worry about the cost. And um, yeah, we, and Stephanie mentioned, yeah, we do have to pay for all of our own tools. Um, and if you're lucky at bigger shops, they have, you know, uh, tool cribs, but um, at smaller places, you hundred percent have to bring your own toolbox and your own tools. So it's, it's really pricey. And just even thinking about, I mean, from like a woman in aviation perspective, there are so many women in aviation groups that's, and I'm, I'm glad that they have them. And there's so many that are pilot specific, but I think I had maybe naively assumed that, well, the same way that they have all these pilot specific groups, there will also be women in air traffic control, women in aircraft maintenance. And I, I was sort of surprised when I finally clued into the fact that no, they don't have these other avenues. And it is so costly to do these additional type courses. And it, there does not seem, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but the same way that they have aviation scholarships for pilots, it doesn't seem that there are really an equivalent um, number or even just sort of availability of scholarships for maintenance. I mean, they have some scholarships. I know um, Elevate have some programs in CWA, but it's very like, yeah, it's not as present and there's not as many. So, I mean, this is all like long-term long-term goals for us to like have more of these like benefits for women for sure. Now, in terms of trying to, I know again, it's thinking long-term and big plans, but how could maybe a, an airline or another aviation organization help support Hangar Queens in sort of getting going and trying to build and be the company and rather the, the organization that you want to be? Uh, yeah, so I guess, we definitely want to partner up with these bigger companies that are like maintenance related and have these like sponsorship at partnerships because we want to get um, the representation out there, but it's much easier when you have like the support of these companies that they can do, 
you know, for promoting women in maintenance, we could do so many like giveaways and eventually have scholarships and be able to like represent these companies, but also like highlight the, the women that work for these companies. So yeah, I feel like they need to partner with like people like us that are passionate and motivated and putting in the work to spread the word. And Alicia, you sort of touched on that just in your own experiences of sort of seeing the differences between the Canadian forces and their maintenance and sort of civilian maintenance. Aside from maybe the, the challenges of getting further in continued education, what other major differences did you notice between sort of civilian maintenance and military maintenance? Um, yeah, I think just even getting paid for going to school is like a huge thing. The cost for for doing that is um, on on the person going to school. So that that was really interesting to learn, um, and uh, yeah, just how much they really provide. And um, yeah, what really stuck out stuck out to me was the continued education and um, the financial aid in in those regards. According to data from 2016 from Transport Canada, only 2.8 percent of aircraft maintenance engineers are women. Why do you believe there are so few women that enter the maintenance facet of aviation? So from the outside looking in, I feel like for those who are aware of the trade, first of all, um, it seems like a, it's a male-driven industry. And I was talking to someone at some point, she was in the hangar and she said to me, I would have loved to be like, you know, I'm mechanics, like I'm so interested, like I would love to do it. And I was like, you can do it. Like, why don't you? And she said, oh no, like, it's so like intimidating. Like I see these guys on the hangar floors, they're all like screaming at each other. And like, you know, everybody's all grimy and like dirty and stuff. And she was like, it's so intimidating. It's so like macho kind of, uh, you know, environment. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'm here, I'm doing it. I'm not macho or whatever and she says yeah but you're so tough like you can handle that and I was like what no you don't we need to change that perception you know that you have to be like one of the guys and like you know be more manly you don't have to forego your femininity to like be an aircraft maintenance engineer but I feel like a lot of people see it that way and it all comes down to like you know representation um, yeah, kind of what Stephanie, exactly what Stephanie's saying. I think it's about the exposure. Um, AMEs, uh, we've already talked about, are, are very undervalued and underrepresented in our industry. So even myself, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my only perception of jobs were um, seeing pilots and flight attendants. That's all I thought that you could do uh, in this field. So ultimately, we need to start talking about this as a career to young girls in elementary school and in high school, for sure a lot of uh, female AMEs that I have met along my career as well, you know, we commonly get asked, oh, why did you choose this as a career? And a lot of them have said, like, I didn't even know about this when I was in high school and at these, you know, critical times in my life. Um, and I discovered it later on, uh, later in life. So we really have to understand, like, why aren't people, like, why aren't they get being exposed to this earlier on? And uh, the reason why the retention rate is so low for women is because of the lack of support and finding that work-life balance. 
Like this industry was created uh, by men for men. And we need to support women in the form of, you know, maybe having childcare at work and, you know, paid mat leave and gender equality training in the workplace. And really we need to close that gender pay gap. No, and I, I think Stephanie, you touched on something that resonated with me, which is like the idea and perception that you have of women in maintenance. I think for me, having it was not until I was in aviation that I met maintenance engineers and then women maintenance engineers, but it came this idea of oh, like maybe um, media and watching a movie and there's one woman who's a mechanic on something and she's super rad and had like five older brothers and she's super tough and still is super hot, but she's also one of the boys. And it's this very, like, that's, that's the model. That's what you see it's in uh, like any different auto movie. It's always that woman. And if you sort of see that, and that's the only version of women in maintenance you see, it's very easy to go, okay, well, I'm not that. So I wouldn't fit in there. It's, it's a good point that there's a very sort of clear depiction of what women in maintenance look like and it's easy for someone who's not that to say oh I wouldn't fit in I couldn't do that and that's kind of why we started woman AME crush Wednesday you know just highlight these like AMEs and kind of like you get to see a bit like some stuff they like you know under off time you know and you see like all these women like doing it and it's just like it's awesome everybody has a story everybody has like passions outside of you know, aviation and it's like people from different backgrounds. So we like to showcase like women either like civilian or military. So that's how we start with like hangar queens with more representation and exposure for sure. And Alicia, as you pointed out, aviation is designed by men for other men. And I, I would even go one step further to say it's designed by white men for other white men. It's, this is not an industry for women and it's really not, like that was not designed for women rather. And it was really not designed for moms. I find that across the board, they don't, there's not really a consideration at least in the way aviation was created that you would be potentially a primary caregiver and also working and the one that would actually be pregnant. Like that just was not part of the mold when aviation was built. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's taken me, even for me, it's been a personal journey of like learning how to figure that out. How can I make that path for myself as well? Cause that's something I would want maybe in the future is to have a family and, um, you know, just being able to reach out to other AMEs through our community that we've created right now with hanger Queens has been so helpful to understand, like you can do this and you can be a mom and you can have a family and to see other pilots, as well, um, I know a woman who's an, an Air Canada pilot, and she's you know been very open and shared her journey um, through her pregnancies, and just seeing how inspirational that is too, because she's not going to let go of her dream, and um, and yeah, I don't think we should. I don't think we have to compromise. I say one. I guess I found it kind of interesting and it's one of those things where again, this was designed. The industry as a whole was designed for a very particular group of people. Uh, someone I know got married, wanted to take her husband's last name, trying to do the paperwork to, on all of her licenses, change, legally change her name. There's one form and it was hard for her to even track that down. Cause let's just say if there's only five to 7% of pilots are women, let's just say half of them are taking someone else's name. That's only about three and a half percent of the pilots that are 
look that we'll do a name change at some point. So it's even these little things of trying to find that form, trying to go through that process. When the majority, the vast majority, majority will never change their name, it's hard to even know where to look or how that process works. So it's, it's these little, little moments that you find, at least that I find where you sort of have it reinforced of, oh, I was never designed to be here. No one thought I was ever going to be here. Um, yeah. And like when I started um, my job at Bombardier, um, it was as simple as like safety harnesses. They only had the male version of safety harnesses because they're quite different. Mm -hmm. Like the way they cross is uh, over the chest or not. For the guys, it's more like an X pattern. And for women, it's more like a, you know, like a equal sign pattern just to give you that mental picture. And I kind of pointed it out, I was like, oh, you don't have like the proper harnesses, but they never had like a female AME in the hangar. So they're like, oh yeah, I guess we have to order one. But it's all this like weird, tiny knowledges and like information that if it's your first time, it's your first job, you're in a hangar with like no other women, this is like the type of information that you might need that you probably won't think like, oh, is the safety equipment different for me or, stuff like that so this is also like the type of information we want to get out there totally I was going to bring up um sorry my experience too at, at one of the hangars I went to um that I worked in there was only one stall for women and the men had like a massive bathroom and there were other women working there doing other different jobs but we just had the one stall so yes the even the hangers were not created for us it's, it's funny to me, just yeah, exactly like not having the safety gear that fits you correctly um, because no one's ever needed it before. You're, you're the first one. I can think even in my own experiences at psych college, having to go buy shirts. It's like, okay, this is where we all buy our shirts. And there were none that were women. And I could wear the men's shirts, but they didn't fit me. It was either too small or too large and neither was professional. They, it, it didn't work for me. And I, asked the school about that and they said well we don't have any we don't need to carry women's shirts because there's not enough women that go through this program to make it worthwhile to carry these shirts so having to go in special order short shirts just so that I looked like everyone else that is these little things that you don't like it's it's not I don't even want to call it a microaggression but it's just sort of this idea of oh that's right this wasn't designed for me sometimes they'll overdo it like you get into yes. you know yeah okay so when I was at Bombardier they ordered the harness but they ordered it pink <laughs> yeah and I was like I was like oh okay like is that the color it comes in and they were like no we just thought like you know because it's pink it's foolproof the guys are not gonna steal your harness and I was like okay but why isn't it why don't they know that it's different why do you have to make it pink? And then you had them, you would get your safety boots paid for by the company. Yeah. And there's this big truck that would come on whatever day, specific days, and you could go choose your safety boots. And then I walked in the truck to go pick out my boots and the guy immediately hands me the pair of pink safety boots. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I think I'll go with like a different model slash color. And he was like, oh okay like immediately thought I would like choose the pink stuff and I was like okay maybe we're like you know being a bit too 
on the other extreme, you know, it's not because I'm a woman, I want everything pink. There's only one person I know who can pull off all pink everything, and that is Cassandra Hepp. I mean, the fact that all of her snap-on tools are pink, like, she's the only one, I think, that can just truly rock that, and no one questions it. She loves it. And yeah, we, we share that same pink. I, when I saw that and I was like, oh, I got the same pink snap on ratcheting a screwdriver. We like totally bonded over that. Now, what strategies do you feel the aviation industry could implement to attract more women to aircraft maintenance, particularly black and indigenous people of color? So like we kind of talked about before, you know, uh, they need to partner up with us, with Hangar Queens, so we can create more content with our sponsorship. But um, seriously, like the partnerships, they play a huge role. And this is something we want to do in the future uh, to partner with these maintenance related companies and really amp up the female representation. So like, and something that these companies will do, some of us were able to go to the AME skills competition because they were sponsored by their company to attend. And that makes a huge difference because the AME skills competition is a way for like us to network and to get a, it's a huge learning experience as well. So to have that support financially by the company that encourages these like initiatives is, makes a huge difference. Yeah, exactly kind of what Stephanie is saying. Um, I think highlighting diverse women within companies is super important as well and uh, getting that exposure and it was really awesome to see um, all the companies that highlighted us after uh, we won at the Amy competition and seeing all the different articles that were written about us. Like Stephanie had one that was written on a Transport Canada website. Um, one of the other girls who works for Kelowna Flightcraft, her company had an article written about her. Um, and so it was just really great to see just women highlighted um, and companies just really need to work on making their workspaces more inclusive for BIPOC women. And that could look like that could be in the form of training so that everyone just feels respected and safe. No, and I know uh, the Black Aviation Professionals Network that was started in 2020 and it's gaining more and more momentum and they're doing wonderful things there. But they have this point on their website that being black, a black aviation professional in aviation, it's a movement, not a moment. And I think that's also something that you two feel as well with uh, representing women in maintenance, that this is not just a flash in the pan. This is not something that we're trying to do just to sort of highlight diversity and then move on. This is really a movement to showcase women in maybe non-traditional roles in aviation, if I can say that, and to prove that there is a place for women Black women, Indigenous women, and women of color within these roles? 100%. Was there something in a workplace that either of you have been in that really stood out to you as something that was inclusive and welcoming, that really made a difference to you, that sort of registered for you as, this is what needs to be done. There needs to be more of this. Um, well, my company, company alone uh, kind of speaks for itself as uh, Esqueo, um, being founded by Tia Frazier. Um, it's uh, the first woman in, uh, in Canada who's Indigenous. It's an Indigenous-owned company. Um, and Esqueo in Cree means woman itself. So it's women airlines, uh, women air. So that alone just like disrupted the whole, the industry of, of what we know as, and what we have seen so far. So even just being able to work for a company like that, that's run by a woman and then have your maintenance department run by, 
a woman of color, like how awesome is that? You, that's something we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So to be a part of that, sometimes I'm still like taken aback when people recognize me. I'm like, I'm just kind of doing my job, but I, I guess it's a big deal. No, and it makes me think of, I forget uh, what sort of trailblazing pilot, uh, women pilot in aviation said this, but it was like, everything about me was novel. Like I would just do anything that I was doing. I was the first woman to do it. And really I was just doing my job like everyone else. But the fact that I was different made it everything kind of noteworthy and newsworthy. And uh, yeah, when Espeo uh, was established and then when Alicia, you became the head of their maintenance, like that, that was novel for aviation. We, we've not seen that before. And I think it, I, I hope it highlights a larger trend of being more inclusive and having those uh, welcoming and inclusive spaces be forged because it's it's time for that representation. It's time for women and women of color to take up space in the aviation industry. Now, in speaking with different maintenance engineers, it seems that after completing their training, women in aircraft maintenance particularly encounter discrimination and resistance from other members of the industry who often attempt to tokenize and belittle them as diversity hires. Combating that attitude is difficult at any point in one's career, but particularly at the beginning. What strategies can help someone overcome these attitudes? This is a, this is a tough one to answer because there's no magic formula for that. And I experienced a lot of that myself when I first started. This is like early 2000s. And the mentality was very like, you know, if I couldn't lift heavier objects or perform a certain job exactly like a guy would, you know, there would be all these like little threats that, you know, we're going to send you to an office or you're going to go work at tool crib or you're going to have this off aircraft job because you, you know, you can't perform as well. So that was really stressful. And a lot of like small situations like that I could talk about. And back then you just had to have tough skin and not let it affect you. And as time progressed, I would kind of like say things back, you know, if they were like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. I'd be like, well, don't come and get me when you need my tiny hands to go get that washer you dropped in this confined space, you know, and kind of like, you know, going back and forth. But now that I'm like in a more you know, supervisor type role. And I still see there's a culture change, but it's very slow. And there's still that mentality that like, you know, women don't have their place on the hangar floor. But I find that like a lot of this mentality has just been passed down on and on from, you know, generation of technicians to the other. And people are just repeating something. They don't even like always mean it. So I find that just having this like, open dialogue if somebody would come at me and say something like you know that would imply that I don't have my place there I would just level with that person like I did all my training you know I've did this I've done this job I've done this and like you know I do all the same things that you do and so like what is it like what is it that you mean by that and just having this like you know very calm just factual conversation it usually diffuses all of that tension people realize like yeah what did I say that that's kind of you know that's kind of dumb to say and just continue doing you like keep doing that maintenance producing like those jobs and eventually like 
it speaks for itself. Like your performance speaks for itself. And that kind of thing usually like fizzles out. But yeah, I would recommend like definitely, you know, having that community you can turn to and talk about these issues. And if you have a union or HR rep or a mentor or somebody you trust and, you know, to address these situations, if you're uncomfortable, like talking to the person that's like bullying you, um, definitely like reach out. There's like a lot of resources, but just have this open conversation with people. Now, by nature of the fact that there are so few women AMEs in aviation, there are also only a few that hold leadership roles. What changes do you currently see and hope to continue as more women AMEs move into management positions? Um, so as a woman in a leadership role right now as PRM, uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest, like I didn't think that I could do that. I didn't think I could go through that whole process because I had never seen a woman in that role before either. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't thinking, well, what's special about me? How, why can I, why can I do this? Or why haven't other women, you know, tried to go down this path? Um, and, and I also had an opportunity to work as a line maintenance supervisor. And I was the first woman to hold that role too. And so it was very empowering for me to feel like, wow, I'm paving a path, like my presence alone and doing these different roles is like impactful. And it took me a while to understand that. Um, and I think the best feeling now is when women message me and say, I'm so happy to see your, you know, see that you're a female PRM because for them, I might be that first person that they're, that they're seeing. And that's, that's amazing because women, we can do everything and we bring such a, a different perspective to the table that I think is undervalued. Um, and I, I can recognize that there is a shift and that's awesome to see more women kind of rise to the top of these companies and, and take their place at the table. No, and it's, it's true. I mean, even just through this podcast, I've had the opportunity to meet different women in maintenance roles at different levels. And it just by getting to interact with them and you've included and getting to see the different work that you do, it, it gives me just as a listener, I would say almost sort of a vicarious, uh, I don't know, confidence that maybe, yeah, like, you know, I'm not a particularly mechanically inclined person, but it gives like knowing that there are women in maintenance that can do all these cool things. It makes me feel like, you know what, maybe I could too. I'm never going to be a maintenance engineer, but yeah, I could probably do some like elementary maintenance and have that supervisory sign off and it would be okay. Maybe I, maybe I can do this. And even just like as someone who will never be a maintenance engineer, just getting to see women who are excellent at their job in maintenance, it, it's just it's inspiring for me to see even a, a completely different facet of the industry. Thank you. And yeah, we're just trying to find all of these different women that are doing these amazing jobs and bring them together on hanger with hanger queens and just highlight them so that other people can also see um, how amazing these women are and how, um, how we're not really recognized usually. How can the aviation industry overall better support women in leadership roles within the maintenance sector? Um, kind of like we've talked about, uh, we, meet, we need to see more um, you know, companies investing in women providing the training and highlighting women. Um, you know, it's, it's very common, but um, as women, we have to work almost twice as hard to be proven equal to men. And like that needs to change. 
we just need to be recognized as equals. And it all comes back to like a culture change. And by doing all of these things, like highlighting women that participate in the AME skills competition and scholarships and just, you know, having that representation with all of that, I think eventually it's going to be normalized that women are on the hangar floor, thriving and working alongside men in harmony. So, yeah. Now those are both, I guess, yeah, more suggestions coming from like a overall the industry, maybe even at a corporate level, but more individually, like what can I as someone working to be a, a pilot, how can I better support women who are in maintenance? I like, I would say like maybe describing deep, like, because I deal with the pilots, um, they just come directly to me. It's not like, well, we still have the same procedure. Like you write your snags in the logbook, but just having, being able to have that conversation and like describing the defects instead of just saying, oh, there's that panel that's like broken. Like be a little bit more specific so I can figure out, you know, what's broken and which area is it left or right? Is it fore or aft? Um, and like, um, taking pictures is really good and really helpful to us when we're troubleshooting of like, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. Just take a quick picture. And um, like, yeah, that helps us troubleshooting so much more than just saying, oh, like, I don't know what's going on, but this engine's running weird. And then we have to just start from like the basic stuff of running it up and then us figuring out, trying to like duplicate your defect essentially. And then a lot of the times we can't because we're not sure like the communication isn't there of like what is not actually what's that not what are you seeing that we aren't mm -hmm. if that answers your question oh yeah no that's always the thing of like could not recreate because there was not enough information yeah can't duplicate defect on the ground or something like that I've definitely written that because I'm like I don't know what they're talking about this is working this is yeah. working fine 16 uh, inches behind the joystick <laughs> yeah just trying to be as specific as possible uh i saw this one meme that it was hilarious it, a pilot wrote this up in a logbook and it was like orange fell down on in galleyway and <laughs> they wrote it up as a defect and then the maintenance of people were just obviously having a joke and they're like orange has been found and safely secured and placarded for pilot for next flight or something like like so like stupid like that. I was like, this is that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I love the, I mean, it's not, it's this is a generalization, but sort of that at least I hope most pilots sort of look at maintenance engineers as like, yeah, you have something to, like, you can teach me something. Like I, I hope to learn from you and maintenance engineers just think all pilots are idiots. Like I love that <laughs> like, there's sort of that. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna fight one. Have... one. <laughs> Just joking. I had a pilot one time that knew more about the aircraft than I did, and the way it worked for us, um, and this is back in my F-18 days, when the pilot does his walk around, you sort of follow him around to open some panels so he can check inside and stuff like that, and this one pilot would quiz us. And he would be like, what is this called? What does it do? It operates at how many PSI? And we'd be like, so stressed. Like, uh, nah, nah. and you would like quiz us. And at first I was like, this is so strange. 
but then I was like I get it like he's like do you know what you're doing because I'm flying this aircraft but I some pilots they really never. do their homework I would never, even if I was like the subject matter expert, I would never do a walk around and say to my instructor, like, do you actually know how to do your job? Because the answer is going to be like, <laughs> little girl, do you know anything? <laughs> oh it was God. pretty wild. I mean, in retrospect, I wonder if you only did that to me. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just pretend it was everyone. Now, we've touched on the Ontario AME Association and the fact that you guys were able to compete at the skills competition last year. But what is the Ontario AME Association and what was it like to be at the competition? Uh, so essentially, we have like these AME associations um, that um, that are across Canada. And I'm actually the VP of PAMEA, which is um, for the Pacific region here in Canada. And so um, every year Ontario hosts this AME conference and the skills competition is uh, on one of the days. And during the other days, they provide training, uh, update training for AMEs. Um, and then they also have like vendors, vendor booths and also companies there that are looking to hire and like to network. And they just bring together the civilian side and mil military side to attend this event. Um, so yeah, it's a really cool thing and I, so I've been to two of them. This was my second one. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm really glad that I got to go again and experience it with the girls. No, and I as a, uh, our friend, Megan Extros, who's the Ontario ambassador for Elevate Aviation, she had helped sort of put together the two different teams that were sent that day. And it was so fun for me and the other women who are part of the Ontario Elevate team to hear what was happening at that competition, especially when it came to the skills portion. And I, can you guys walk me a bit more through that day? Because it was very cool just as a spectator. I couldn't imagine sort of being in the moment with you. It's kind of funny because it was my first time and you don't really know what you're going to be. You have a general idea of what you're going to be tested on. And I did not know what to expect whatsoever we didn't even go with an overly competitive attitude we were just like so excited to be there and like having our team meeting the night before we're just talking about aircraft and stuff like that and we're just like really excited and then every challenge was a 45 minute time challenge and you had to do like as much as you could and you kind of found out what the challenge was like as you were about to do it so we were all like observing the room. Oh, I see an engine. Oh, I see a main rotor. Like we're going to do this. We're gonna speculating and stuff. And every time it was one, one team member that would do the challenge at the time. And you weren't really supposed to help, but all eight of us were just like, you should do this. You should do that. And like helping each other and like cheering on. Like it was really, it was really fun. I would say I, I would like to highlight the fact that this is, I mean, the teams, the other teams that were there were almost, I think from what I understand, almost all corporate teams. Like this was someone, these are coworkers that have been sent by a company and the two teams that Elevate put together were volunteers who had not necessarily met before, let alone worked together. And frankly, you guys dominated the competition. Oh yeah. You we won. <laughs> yeah. So we won six of the seven prizes available which was physically impossible to win all seven because we had two teams and it was set first, second and third place prizes. So, you know, we came in first and third. Uh, 
and we won all all the prizes, all the awards. And we the fact that we were also volunteer coming from like multiple backgrounds. We had, mm-hmm. we were the only teams that also had military in them and mixed with civilian and all women. And we were a very young team. Like I'm 33 years old and I was the senior of all the of all the girls. So some teams they had more years of experience that we had years alive you know what I mean so that was also like a very interesting uh, thing about us is that we were so young and only female and we didn't know each other and yet we had like the award for best team spirit and best outfits say if there had been an award for best team names I think you guys would have won because again my understanding of the day was that there was sort of like Air Canada A Air Canada B and what were the names of your teams the team that I was on was uh, called, we, we decided um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Wrenches. Yeah. And my team was just plain gorgeous. <laughs> and I think, like again, that truly sort of captures the, the spirit of the day for or the two teams from Elevate, which was, we're here, we're going to go have fun, we're volunteers, we're just going to go and meet other nice people in maintenance. And the fact that everyone else was maybe more more serious like not not that you guys weren't serious but had these very like corporate backings and it was this team of volunteers that were just there to have fun that won the day I was I was happy just to watch that as a a spectator but I guess what did it mean for you two just to do so well in that competition given that you were there just to have fun it really meant the world to us because like of all the reasons we said we were the only females like in the building doing this competition we were so young and like we didn't even see as like we want to win we want to be competitive we just wanted to do our best learn from each other and winning was just a cherry on top like we were so excited we couldn't even believe it when we, we would see the scoreboards we're like oh my god like everything was just a celebration and then we really felt like a bunch of people that just won an Oscar or something like very important. Like that trophy to me is like my golden globe. Yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, for me, I was just like, oh my God, I'm getting to hang out with other female AMEs. Like that alone is like a win in my books. And then for us to just like all get along and we were just like, on, I felt like we were on cloud nine the whole time. And during the competition, yeah, we went in with like no expectations. We were all like, I had gone to one before, so I kind of knew what to expect. So I tried to pass on that knowledge, but we we're all really nervous because they, I knew that they were going to change everything. So what I had seen before might've not been there um, during this competition, but um, yeah, it was just like unreal how, how much fun we had with it. And then to win, like Stephanie said, was like the cherry on top there. Now, how did or did not having mentors initially impact your aviation pursuits? So for me, initially, I did not have um, a mentor when I first started in aviation. And it just made me work so much harder than I probably had to just to prove myself. I was not really taught how to work within my strength. And I felt burnt out and physically exhausted at first. I thought, you know, the amount of effort I had to put in just to be on the same level as like my male counterparts was just much more substantial. 
and that's an exciting facet of Hangar Queens that will be released in the coming weeks, is that we will post these instructional video capsules about alternative methods to carry out more challenging maintenance actions. And for me, um, mentorship is everything. Uh, my mentor, Brad, uh, literally taught me everything that I know today. And I'm so grateful that he worked with me, saw something in me and took me under his wing. I still bug him today and I shoot him a text when I'm like trying to figure something out and I need a little bit of guidance. And he never hesitates to, to respond and, and get back to me. Now, now as a woman with more confidence and knowledge, I wanna pass, pass that along and share that with other females. Um, cause, cause we've talked about it before. Like sometimes it's hard to ask, you know, your male supervisor, your male crew chief that you work with, um, ask them questions. So having a female mentor to lean on who really gets what you're kind of going through, um, would have been amazing to have as well additional additionally. So I really just want to be that person that I didn't have when I was go going through my whole training, um, and just be that person for, for others with hanger queens. And I mean, we've talked uh, throughout this episode about the importance of representation and how it is really kind of the first step in attracting more women to aircraft maintenance. And I guess, Stephanie, having not had a mentor, how do you think having had, if you were to have had a women mentor, how do you think that would have maybe changed uh, initially starting in aviation for you? I mean, I feel like I definitely would have felt like it's okay for me to be here and like, you know, even if people are threatening me to like send me the tool crib or whatever, I would have had someone to go to and be like, you know, this, this is what they're threatening me with. And she probably would have said, no, they're not allowed to do that and blah, blah. And I would have had someone I can ask, like, is there any other ways I can do this task? Like, it's so difficult. And she would have been able to show me. And that's also like, you know, when we say we want to provide these services for women, we also want men to be able to come to our page and our LinkedIn and learn from these videos like tips and tricks because, you know, if they've never had a female apprentice, they've never had to like really think about, you know, how different methods that I can teach my apprentice to better perform. So we're hoping that, you know, some of these supervisors or like maintainers will see our videos and be like, oh, I never thought of doing that way you know, next time, maybe I'll tell my apprentice to like follow hangar queens. or I'll have these tools to better mentor people in the hangar. So we're really hoping to like, you know, bring this platform to like everyone, not just women, but everybody can learn from this. Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? So I admire, and I recently learned about her a couple of years ago. Um, her name was Maureen Rootledge, and she was the first female licensed AME in Canada. And she got her license on March 11, 1971. So that's not even that long ago. And that, that date alone like just blew my mind when I first learned about her. And she advocated for herself and challenged Transport Canada when they told her like she couldn't even write the exams. She passed all three of those exams on that same day. She went in, walked in and was like, I'm gonna do these exams and you can't, you can't not let me do them. So she did that, passed them all. And then some 40 years later, she had to challenge Transport Canada to prove that she was indeed the first uh, female licensed AME. 
And I'm happy to say that she won that battle. So she's very inspiring. And um, the sad thing is that there isn't much written about her. And the I've only seen just one article written um, written on her. And so that's how I learned about her. But like, people need to know her name. And we will definitely name, you know, if we ever get to the point that we can offer scholarships or awards, we will definitely name one after her. For me, my answer, I guess, is more political because I don't have one per specific person I admire. I feel like for me, it's like the everyday heroes. Every time I meet someone new in the aviation industry or like AME, everybody has such an amazing story. And usually like I find women that get into this industry, they're naturally very driven people. So, you know, if you ask me tomorrow, it'll be someone new, but like, you know, when I met Alicia, I was like so impressed with her. And then she told me about Tiara. I was like so impressed with her. I started following her and like Nisha, Iris, Alexa, everyone I keep meeting at these conferences and everything. And that's why like Woman AME Crush Wednesday was born. Cause I was like, I'm the biggest cheerleader in the background. I'm the one who puts up like big international women's day conferences to have like all these guest speakers. And I just want to like, you know, clap in the background. And so, yeah, I'm a number one fan to everyone I meet. So it's hard for me to pick one. That's my political answer, but I stand by it. No, and it's, I, I think our guests generally don't love this question, but I keep asking it. Um, and it's because it's, it's, you either have someone who's very clearly the, the one, um, or you have, I'm so fortunate to know so many wonderful people. It's how, how do I choose just one? Because as soon as I pick just one, there's 10 other people that I, I should have also mentioned. So I, I understand that, yeah, it's, it's a political answer, but no, it's, 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 I think it's interesting because it gives me the opportunity to learn about new people. I'm, at least until you'd mentioned Maureen, I'd never heard of her. And I like to think that I know about a lot of the starts and the firsts of aviation and for women, particularly in Canada. And I'd never heard of Maureen. And I am shocked to hear that it was only in the seventies. I mean, that's, that, that's hard for me to imagine that it took women to break into maintenance, even that much, like until even just that recently, like that's, and then to have to fight to prove that you were the first. I mean, that just everything about that seems just yeah. bizarre. I think there was a lot of women probably working, but she was the one that actually was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge transport and I'm going to go and get my license and see what they kind of do about it. And she was like, ah, in the article, it was so, it was so cute to see like her responses. I'm not sure if she's still alive today. Cause the article was written in 2014, 2014, but, um, yeah, she was just like, I didn't take no for answer or something like that. And I was like, wow, I love that. I love that attitude back in, back in the day when she probably had nobody else to support her. Like how, how, how strong must she have been to do that? Yeah, no, it's, it's exciting for me to have sort of initially seen, of course, the Hanger Queens start following the uh, Ontario AME Association's conference. And now sort of developing future programs I'm, I'm just excited to watch where you guys go and get to I don't know support in different ways I'm, I'm just really excited for you guys yeah and like you know we're learning so much as we're going even just with social media I thought I was pretty you know in with the times but 
I'm definitely more a millennial than a Gen Z, that's for sure. And all these new things about, you know, business side of building a nonprofit. And like, at first it was like, you know, what is, what are we, what do we call ourselves? We're not a blog. We're not like, you know, so, so try to find what represented us and then, you know, providing education is the main thing that we want to do. So that's the direction we're going to take this. Now, what advice would you have for a woman considering a career as an aircraft maintenance engineer? I would say um, try and be like a sponge and absorb as much and learn as much as you can from others and your mentors. I started like a notebook um, when I was an apprentice and just wrote like little tips and tricks that I've learned on certain aircrafts because each aircraft that you, you'll work on has different little quirks. And um, just making a note of it, you know, when it comes back next year for that annual and you can remember, oh, I remember doing this, this snag and this is how I, how I fixed it. And it's so important to, to just have your own little set of um, learning tools. So I always recommend that to all my apprentices, you know, keep a little notepad with you, write down little things that I'm telling you verbally. And that'll go such a long way because I still use my notebook to this day. And uh, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to ask for help because there are no dumb questions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've all seen a senior AME with like a notepad that's like full of cheat sheets and like scribbles from like, you know, 10 years ago and stuff like that. So yeah, I agree. And also like join a community I highly recommend joining, you know, following Hanger Queens, uh, a bit biased on that one, but finding a mentor, you know, there's so many programs that the companies need to like, you know, talk about more like elevate CWIA and all that stuff. Like you can get a mentor, you know, for free and ask all the questions and yeah, just have fun and get your aviation on. No, it's definitely something that if you have a passion for it is it makes it so much easier and yeah not doing it in a bubble having a community and I I'd not heard of this idea of sort of having a notebook to refer to but it makes perfect sense to me we do that as Amy's all the time is like we refer back to our maintenance manual so like it just kind of goes hand in hand for us I even go as far as printing out certain things and I just highlight them and make notes on the side too for for little tips and tricks like oh remember to use this wrench or you know it's this size o-ring so I don't have to go and like research it again all over. No, I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I just, it never occurred to me that, oh yeah, like obviously you're using like a maintenance manual, but to have your own separate ones, like, well, yeah, duh, of I, course. <laughs> there was this one task on the helicopter that's like quite difficult is to do the throttle rigging. And the procedure is all over the place. You have to go from this book to this book. That part is special and stuff like that. So I built a chart, a troubleshooting chart for that. Just because I was doing it and I was like, okay, this is really like in depth. So I started writing everything, all the part numbers, and then go to this book, this step, this page, and then proceed to like this other part, whatever. And then they they ended up using my troubleshooting cheat sheet as part of the curriculum for the course. So yeah, definitely like these notes, they'll go a long way. 
Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your careers so far? I mean, I have a few for sure. Um, from flying an American Herc J model over the Alaskan Rockies, that was pretty amazing. But I have to say like, my favorite memory is the AME skills competition. There was just something like that feeling of you found like you finally find your squad and your people and you're part of a group of like-minded women. It felt really wholesome and rewarding. And it's because of all these women that we met along our careers that Hangar Queen was born. But I don't think anything in my career like topped that like the winning feeling and like, yeah, we did it. Like that was my favorite memory by far. Like almost to paint the picture is like we felt like the heroes at the end of a movie who like won this like crazy challenge that, you know, we thought we could never accomplish. Like we climbed Mount Everest, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> the underdogs, for sure. The underdogs, yes. Uh, I don't know why the Sandlot is coming to my mind as like our, our movie that like, would represent us, but that's my vision right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely what Stephanie just said is also one of my favorite memories. Uh, just in general, it doesn't even, it's not even like about the aviation aspect of it. Just that feeling alone was so valuable to me. Um, and there was just so much girl love. One of the girls made us all bracelets that said girl love. So our first picture on Hanger Queens is us all with our, our bracelets. And like, I just, I love it. And I still rock it when I'm feeling, feeling like I need some, some girl love. But my, my, my favorite memory, um, our moment that I had would be, I say the day that I became uh, a PRM and I passed my Transport Canada interview exam, um, I did not think I was going to get emotional because I was like, okay, it's another step in my, in my journey. But I cried. Like when he told me that I passed, I just like got so emotional with so much, um, you know, release of energy that, oh, I can breathe. Like I actually did it. Like I actually accomplished this goal that I thought I could not do. And um, it, it meant so much more to me than just passing a, an exam. And I felt like, I was that person now that I never saw and I believed that I could be. So I felt like I had opened a door for more women to want to become PRMs um, because if I could do it, then there's no reason why you couldn't do it. And I'm the living, I'm a living proof of that. So it was a, yeah, it was a huge moment for me in my career that I'll, I'll never forget. No. And I think, I mean, it's, you're, both just incredible. And I think just by virtue of being you and the fact that you're putting yourselves out there through hanger queens and getting to showcase the great work that you do and so many other women in maintenance, it's it's easy for both of you to have sort of these moments where you are that person that someone else admires. You are making it that much easier for another woman to want to get into aircraft maintenance. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah, we are on LinkedIn as Hanger Queens. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Hanger underscore Queens. And you can email us at our email address, HangerQueens1 at gmail.com. We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Alicia and Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. 
The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searles. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Thank you.